somewhere between those two numbers. <laughs> so you all know your ages. All right, what, what we're going to talk about a little bit, we're just going to talk about some stuff. I want to talk to you about what I wish someone had told me. I came from about, did I ever show you this thing before? I, 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 like, I like this little illustration. <laughs> yeah, cool, where's the line? You got it, man. You got it. Oh, they were there. Um, thank you, thank you. What, what it is, is um, I love little odd pictures like that. Any of you guys or, or, or girls who like to collect stuff, this is by a fellow by the name of Esker. You can sometimes see it in bookstores. When you go to college, there'll be books with a lot of his pictures in. But this, um, this Esker, E-S-C-H-E-R, uh, did a lot of line drawings. They're all kind of fun drawings because they were, they played with perspective. So that what you see doesn't exactly exist. Can you tell what's wrong with that picture? Yeah, yeah, that, that really. But, but if you look at any one little segment of it, I mean, just take a little segment of it and it, it always appears to be going downhill, 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 downhill. It gets back to the top and keeps going downhill, and it's actually going uphill. Well, it can't exist. Um, <clears throat> when I was a young man, I wanted to get into the media of uh, all the radio announcer or something like that, I, I thought. So I've always been interested in the media. And uh, today, the entertainment industry does basically the same thing as that. They, they show you a lot of things that really don't exist. Last year, there have been some very, um, well, they made a number of films. What was it? Was it one about the, the uh, dinosaurs? Jurassic Park right now. And uh, people tell me that the, the, the film is, is, uh, catches their attention because they've, they've made a world that doesn't exist, and you end up believing it. Years ago, I was out in California, and I, I'm trying to remember why, but I was with another minister, and he wanted me to go by and see the, the studios where they made some films. I went over to, I think it was Universal Studios. And it wasn't a big show place. It was just showing you around. 
and I walked in there, and things that I thought I saw didn't exist. For instance, they showed me in all the, the rooms that you see, there's no ceilings on them. See, if they had the ceiling, then they couldn't put that boom mic and follow you around. And you, that's why you, 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 never, you never see a, a scene where you're looking at the wall and the ceiling. If you're going to see a scene like that, that'll be a separate filming. Um, they had one deal where they were showing, uh, they had a guy in a truck, and they showed that the guy is racing down the highway in this truck at something like 90 miles an hour. Well, he's not moving at all. It's a stationary truck that just kind of rocks around, and then they, they show things in the background. And uh, they, they had the film on the back. And now, now, I'm saying all that to say this. A lot of things that you think you see aren't true. Uh, what you read about in magazines and sometimes what you see in entertainment, a lot of it is phony and false. The devil's always had a, had a knack for making counterfeits. I've got a couple of people in my church who work in banks, and they told me something interesting. They said uh, the way they're taught as bankers, you know, and they just work in as tellers at first, how to tell counterfeit money. And I thought, well, man, how do they teach you that? You know, bring in books and tell you what to look for and all this. I said, no, no, they don't do that. They, they make you spend time holding, feeling, playing with real money. So that after a while, you get the feel of the real thing. And you get so that you can just tell funny money just by the feel of it. That's interesting. See, see, you don't study the counterfeits, you study the real thing. I wanted to become a psychiatrist. So I, I got a lot of classes in a lot of colleges. And, and, uh, and I've read books by... Uh, well, you've heard of Sigmund Freud. Any of you know Siggy? Sigmund Freud and a bunch of the others. And, and, and these were very, very intelligent people. And they were studying the human mind and how the human uh, personality works. And, and, and one time in my life, I thought that's what I wanted to do for a living. And I mentioned a little bit the other night, I thought I wanted to help hurting people. But I discovered something. I discovered that after I got done reading Freud and started reading Carl Jung, Carl Jung was at odds with Freud. And so one of them was right and one of them was not so right or wrong. And then there was Freud, uh, then there was Skinner and Horny and a bunch of other, you know, a bunch of other personalities. And they, each one of them had their own little school of thought on how the human mind works. And they were opposite one another. Well, can they all be right? Well, I discovered most of them had a little bit of truth, but I did find something that did have all the truth. And that makes date me, but it's right in here. The truth of the matter is, the answers to virtually all of life's mysteries is found right in the Word of God. Now, most of us don't read it. We talk more about reading the Bible than we do read it. A lot of people don't like me because I'm, I'm maybe too straight talking in some areas. I think we've got a lot of hypocrisy. I think we talk more about prayer than we do it. 
I've been in services where we took prayer requests for 10 minutes and prayed for two. Really? I've heard testimony services in church where the testimony wasn't about Jesus Christ, but it was all about how good the person was who was testifying. But I want the real. And just like in my studies, you know, uh, whether it be uh, Sigmund Freud or Carl Jung, Karen Horney or, or Skinner or any of these others, uh, what they all have a little measure of truth, but I wanted to go back to the basic book. When I, when I bought a car, I got a new car many years ago, and the first new car I got had in the glove compartment a little book. And the little book was called, called the Manufacturer's Manual. It was a little, little Buick, if I'm not mistaken, I got, and it's my first new car, and I was, I was probably 30 years old before I got a brand new car, or older. I got that car, and, and I saw that little book inside, and of course I looked at it, skimmed through it, and then threw it back in the glove compartment. And I didn't look at the book again until I had problems with the car. You know, most people do the same thing with this. So that car was called a manufacturer's manual. It was put there by Buick Motor Division so that you would get the best mileage, the best service out of your Buick car. If you'd read the book and follow the principles, you would get, you'd be so happy with a Buick that the next car you'd buy would be a Buick. But most people just don't bother to look at it until there's trouble. God invented life, and God invented marriage, and God invented parenting, and God invented jobs, and God made men, and God made women, and God made them different. Thank the Lord for that. And, <laughs> and God did all that, and then he put a book. Really, really, it's, it's here. He put in here principles on how to be a happy man. How to be a happy woman, how to be a happy parent, how to be a happy companion, how to love somebody all your life. And most people just don't read it. Now, I'm being honest with you, I've been around Pentecost for years. I also was a member of some other churches along the way. I, I bounced around. My daddy is Roman Catholic, and, and I had exposure to that. But there are answers here, but most people just never even bother to look. Let me just talk to you a little bit about it. Jesus said it this way. He said, I've come that you might have life and that you might have it, what? You remember the rest of it? You know what that means? That means quality of life. I don't know where we get the idea that if you're serving God that you're going to have to give up quality of life. You really get quality of life. See, see it really works that way. Now, see, you're at one side of life. I'm, uh, I'm more towards the other side. And so the things that I heard when I was closer to your side, I didn't believe a lot of the old people. I thought, they're too old to, have, to, to know what I feel. They don't live in, they're not living in 1994 as an 18-year-old or a 20-year-old or 16-year-old. No, but, but there are some principles that apply. I went through stages, ages and stages, and trying to find out who I was. Believe it or not, back, back in my day, I, I fell in love several times in one day. 
<laughs> I'm just geared that way. Uh, let me let me tell you a little bit about men and women. I, I was teaching, I don't know if your parents, some of your parents might have been here, but I was teaching a lot about the difference between men and women, and I don't want to go into all the difference, but, but some of the great differences are the average American man falls in love nine times in his life. And for you, you're already, you're on 11, so you're, you're ahead. You got two for him, you know. <laughs> but the average American man falls in love. What, what, you know what that means? It means nine times in his life, he thinks that he's in love. That's scary, girls. <laughs> so when you get serious about some guy, you say, I hope I'm number nine. <laughs> no, 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 but it just simply means, it doesn't mean he has nine affairs, doesn't mean he has nine girlfriends, uh, uh, but it means about nine times in his life, he's going to have the feeling that there's somebody special. Well, then how in the world do you ever have a marriage? I don't know how many times a woman thinks she falls in love. If it's Mr. Right, it's only one, of course. We know that. <clears throat> These three guys want to believe that. But the truth of the matter is, the, the heart is deceitful above all things, and what? You know the rest of it? Desperately wicked. You can't trust your heart. Always hear people say, well, I know in my heart. Wrong. <laughs> really, you can't trust your heart. So, so God gave us some principles that will work, if it work them. And, and tonight and tomorrow night, I'm going to talk a little bit about that. The, the, the principles of life that work. See, see I, I'm a little, you heard me talk a little bit. How many were here last night heard me? Okay. Oh, most of you. How many didn't hear me at all? Oh, then I'll preach to you. Okay. <laughs> no, uh, I, I'm from a dysfunctional family. I'm from a real messed up background. I mean, I, I never had a mom and dad who had their act together. I'm sorry to say. Uh, my mama loved me. I guess she did. My, my daddy didn't. If he did, he, he didn't show it very well. He abandoned us, and that's not considered a way to show love to a kid. I, I've bounced around. I've been to 13 different schools. Uh, been in trouble. <laughs> All kinds of mischief. I never saw a father and mother ever talk out a problem. Never. Never. I never saw that. I've seen violence. I mean, I'm not talking about slam doors or yelling. I'm talking about the police coming to the house. Now, I mean, when you're raised with something, you know that affects your thinking. My daddy was married five times. He believed in marriage. <laughs> well, I want you to look what a mess I am. You know, if I come from all that, do you think that affects me a little bit? you think that affects the way I look at things and maybe even the way I look at women? I was born and raised in New York City. Does anything good come out of New York City? Well, anything good gets out of there as soon as it can. <laughs> but, but that's a long way from Lake Charles. And so, uh, you know, I'm, I'm raised in a big city. I met a married little girl who came from Louisiana, Missouri. Little tiny town on the Mississippi River. I mean, we're, we're from opposite of the world. My father actually sang 
with the Metropolitan Opera Traveling Company. I mean, he, he actually sang, like those, you know, the, the kind of singing. My mama's idea, my wife's idea of great music was Grand Old Opry, you know. <laughs> I mean, we're from two different worlds. How in the world can you have a relationship that's going to last? Um, I like chess. My wife never did learn what to do with the horsey. <laughs> we had a fight over that. <sighs> I'm a very competitive person. I used to play tennis. <laughs> uh, I don't too much anymore, as you can tell, but I played tennis and tried to teach her to play tennis. Even paid for tennis lessons at the University of Minnesota. She took classes in it. But I'd, I, you know, I'd hit the ball, she'd hit the ball, I'd chase the ball. <laughs> she'd serve the ball over, I'd hit the ball, she'd hit it, I'd chase it. Man, we gave up tennis, too. We're from opposite ends of the world. And then the worst part of all is I'm a man and she's a woman. I mean, that's <laughs> better than other problems, but her, her mind doesn't work like a man's mind. And for that at times, too. But, you see, I didn't know about that. I mean, yeah, I knew they were different. I knew the plumbing was different. I knew the... <laughs> I knew that most women weren't, weren't as hairy as the men were some. <laughs> You know, that, but that's all I, I really knew. And, 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 and suddenly one day I got married and I met this little gal and, and uh, I decided I'm going to build a life. And, and it wasn't like the movies. I mean, I mean, I knew. I knew. You see, see, if you're really in love, if you're really in love, see what happens. When you come home from work, she's waiting there with your slippers in her mouth. <laughs> I mean, I mean, she real, real love, real love, real love. See, and, and, and gals, I mean, if he really loves you, when he comes home from work, first thing he does, he picks you up, sweeps you around, and, and carries you across the room, sits down on the couch, and then on bended knee, he sits down on his knee, gets down on his knee, and he says, tell me about your day. I just want to hear the sound of your voice. Oh, the baby was sick. Tell me about it. Diarrhea. Oh. <laughs> Man, dream on. See, see, this is the this is the phoniness, the sadness to it all, because we end up believing some of this kind of stuff, and it doesn't work. Oh, oh, for a little while. <coughs> a little while. That's why God gave us principles in our relationships, and uh, I'm not going to just talk about this, but but. Relationships with women, relationships with men, relationships with job, jobs that allow for abundant life. Because moods come and go. Uh, the other morning I woke up, it scared me, I woke up in bed and, and there was a middle-aged woman in bed with me. What scared me was my wife. I don't know what happened to her. Until I looked in the mirror myself, and then I saw what was happening. See, I married a little—I married a little five foot four inch tall. She had hazel eyes, hair about the color of your hair, and uh, uh, 
complexion. Oh, great, great. Flawless cheekbones like Grace Kelly. I mean, she just, oh. I've been married to her for 36 years now. Her beautiful blonde hair got darker and darker. Now it's not getting darker. Now it's mostly white. <laughs> and the little laugh lines, you know, I thought were so cute when she laughed. She has little laugh lines even when she's not laughing. <laughs> And she's been on the diet now for for 30 years. She's lost hundreds of pounds. Must be me. Well, no. The truth of the matter is, and, and, and I'll tell you the truth, that's the most beautiful woman in the world to me. Oh, you're just being sentimental. No, no, no. It really is. She really is. But it did scare me when I woke up and there was a middle-aged woman there. <laughs> See, it's just things change. People change. I change. When I, I told Brother Ewing today, I was telling him, I said, you know, when I was younger, I was tall and skinny. I'm still tall. Um, I was about six foot two and about 140 pounds. That's my fighting weight. That's my running weight. <laughs> But I wanted to be a great singer. My daddy was a real great singer, and I wanted to be a great singer. So I tried to gain weight. I would take those diet books, and everything that they said, don't eat, that's what I ate. <laughs> really, truly, I told them today. I would order, I'd go to a restaurant, and I'd order a mince, mince pie or raisin pie. And I didn't like them. But they had more calories than any other kind of pie. And then I'd order a chocolate malted milkshake with a raw egg in it. Then before I go to bed at night, I take two tablespoons of vegetable oil because I wanted to gain weight. Hey, it worked. <laughs> I got to figure out how to, how to stop it. But I changed. When I married my wife, I weighed 155 pounds. Now I weigh over 160. <laughs> but I'm out, I changed. And she didn't stay the same, and I didn't stay the same. Well, how do I know that the person that I'm interested in, I'm going to be want to be with when they change? That's scary. I used to have hair so thick and wavy. Barber, the barber used to say, I ought to charge you double for cutting your hair. Now they ought to charge me half. <laughs> Here's waving, wave goodbye. <laughs> it happens. See, so, so in the Bible, when it talks about the virtuous woman, and talks about, uh, in Proverbs 31, it talks about how fleeting beauty is and all that, there are qualities that God says if we'll work with and build on, that will last. Because we're going to change. It's going to happened to us. It, it is. We was at Mangan's church. For the Mangan's church, there was a little situation where a little girl and fella got married, and it's about three, four weeks after they were married, he was in a terrible accident, and he's now quadriplegic. That means arms and legs don't move. And that's not the way it's supposed to be. That, that, that's, that's, not, that's not the way we illustrate it. It's 
two beautiful people laughing and joking and making love and, and buying things and walking through the malls of life together, you know. But life isn't like that. So God said, if you'll follow my pattern, I can give you abundant life. Later I'm going to probably talk to the married couples about this. I'm going to talk about ages and stages of life. I'm going to tell, talk to people about, I'm going to talk to them about their sex life. Believe it or not, Christians have a sex life. Are, are you aware of that? <laughs> like Charles, do they? <laughs> Nobody, oh, these guys, no, I don't know anything about it. No. Yeah, 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 yeah. I read a book once, yeah, sure. <laughs> well, sex is part of life, too. And, uh, and you know what? People change. Uh, men change. Guys 15, 16, 17. You know, now this is going to sound terrible to you. I'm going to talk straight to you. If I get too offensive, you tell me. Okay. Oh, okay. <laughs> guy, guy reaches his sexual peak at about 17. That's scary. I mean, I, I'm going to tell the adults later tonight, the average man, age 17, is thinking about sex or women every 10 minutes of his waking day. <laughs> Some of these guys disagree. They say every five minutes. <laughs> now, I realize you're Christian, so it's 12 minutes. <laughs> no, man, that, that's part of life, that testosterone. That's the stuff that, that hormone that goes through your system. You know, that's why. You ever see guys, you see guys around school, when they're talking together, they are not talking, they are not talking about the Clinton administration. <laughs> really, really they're not. They're not talking about the effect of gambling on the state of Louisiana. No. What they're talking about, I can tell you, it goes on for years. Whenever you see a group of men talk, that's probably the number one source of conversation, even more than sports. Comments about girls or women. Now, I realize as Christian men, you don't notice that, but <laughs> for the rest of us people, that's real. I mean, that's life. That's the way it is. Say, is that the way it ought to be? I don't know whether it ought to be that way or not, but that's the way it is. And then with women, you got another problem. I don't know. I mean, have you been, are you, do you teach this class? Have, have you explained cycles? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> With your luck, you'll marry a Harley. <laughs> women, women, women are weird. They're, 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 all their life, they're coming into or going out of something. Yeah, yeah, just, just. You know, and, and then you marry, you're married to one of them. And believe it or not, it affects you. Her cycle becomes your cycle. <laughs> oh, I don't want to think about that. Well, you better think about it now, because that's the way life is. It's, it's life. It really is. And, and, and so God said, there's a beautiful passage in the book of Proverbs about, oh, I can read it, he... The wise man says, he says, there are things too wonderful for me to imagine. He says, the way of an eagle in the air, the way of a, a snake on the rock, the way of a ship in the sea, and the way of a man up with, his, with a maid. He says, just too amazing. I mean, the marvelous things and the changes that happen in people. 
let me tell you a little something about infatuatory love. Now, I'm not talking to you as a Christian. I'm talking to you as a scientist. Most surveys indicate that what we call great romantic passionate love lasts at a maximum four years. In other words, amongst humans, the human mammal, a report, and I, I, did, I didn't bring it up on the computer, from, um, it's the uh, curator of the Museum of Natural History, an anthropologist, physical anthropologist, studying human beings, says all over the world, when people fall in love, rarely or ever does that initial love last over four years. Oh, my goodness. And what do you do? Well, you replace it with something even better. You see, that, that overwhelming sense of just this one, just us, together, forever, close, breathing. <laughs> These things, too, shall pass. And what, what they explained it. Now, here's what the anthropologists say. And I'm not talking as a Christian. I'm just talking as an anthropologist. They said that what it is, it's, it's that the, the, the instincts that say we want to come together, want to have a child, and stay together long enough to launch that child so that child can get around a little bit. That's scary, isn't it? Now, they, they call it, scientists call that infatuatory love. That's that kind of love that's just overwhelming where I can't eat, I can't sleep, all I can do is just look at her, you know. <laughs> you know, what's funny is you watch two of them go down the street in the car, car together and, and she's sitting right next to him, which is kind of tricky because there's a bucket of seats, you know. <laughs> and everything he does is wonderful. He burps, she thinks he's singing, you know. <laughs> You can't live there because you then come into some realities. I had, I had a preacher, and he wasn't a very bright preacher, I don't think, for telling people this. He told the couples, he says, live on your honeymoon all your life. <laughs> oh, that sounds great. <laughs> then you come back to mortgages and mothers-in-law. <laughs> That's reality. So, so what, what they say is something kicks in about the first year or two, and it's called commitment love. Commitment love. It's kind of an interesting thing, because it begins to say, well, I mean, I really love you, and, and I, I'm thrilled to be around you, but even if I wasn't quite as thrilled, I'm making covenant with you, commitment with you. And as you change, and as I change, we're going to be together. <sighs> Unfortunately, 60% of all marriages end in divorce today. That's the way it is. It's getting worse. I have something I need to show you. No. It's called Be Prepared. <laughs> uh, household helper, inferiority, disillusionment, legalist. Oh, I lost it. <laughs> well, good. It was. Oh. 
me show you a little something. Here's, here's a little thing. And... Break into a song or something. Oh. I'm going to show this to married people, but I wish you'd see this. Covenant or a contract. You know what a contract is? You and I, I ask you, say, hey, man, uh, would you, would you, I need my back porch on my house painted. Uh, this summer when you're off school, could you think you could do it? And you say, oh, sure, sure. How much you do it? Mm, a couple hundred dollars. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't want to build, I just want to paint it. <laughs> but, <laughs> but at the rate of speed he works, that'll be a all summer long project, so. <laughs> <laughs> but but we make a contract. He says, see, see, we have to set up some terms on it. We're going to set up some loopholes on it. He says, okay, I don't know you real well. I'm going to need some money up front. I said, okay, I'll give you, uh, I'll give you 50 bucks when you start, and then I'll give you, um, I'll give you the 100 the day it's painted, and then I'll give you your last 50, 30 days after it's done, when I make sure it's all done right. I mean, we can negotiate that. He'd like all the money up front. <laughs> That'd be the last I see the money. No, I tease you. But really, we, you want to make sure you're going to get some money when you're starting to invest yourself into that job. I want to make sure that I'm not giving you money and not getting the job done. So, so contracts are when people don't trust each other. Marriage is a covenant. A big difference. Covenant, God makes covenants. Covenant is not a contract. It's more than that. Covenant is based on trust between parties. Contract is based on distrust. I'll do this if you do this. If you don't do that, I'm out of my end. And that, that, that's contracts. And, and you do it in business. You know, you want to buy, uh, you want to buy this car of mine. And uh, I'll say, well, I'll sell you the car for $500. We negotiated $500. And you'll say, uh, $500. I say, okay, give me the $500. I say, no, I want to see the con I want to see the title. I want to drive it first. Oh, I told you, it's, it's good. It's good. It's good. I want the title. See, see, there, it's based on mistrust. Now, we don't say it to people like, I don't trust you. And he, But if you're going to make contracts, that's why you get lawyers to do it. But covenant says, I trust you. I'm believing that you're going to do things even if I'm not able to hold up my end of the bargain. That's the difference. A covenant is based on unlimited responsibility. A contract is based on limited liability. This house that we were, this porch that he was going to paint, uh, oh, you stepped on my prize rose bush. It's a $1,400 rose bush. <laughs> Pay up. <laughs> no way. So I sue him. You painted it with the wrong kind of paint, or, or you didn't do this. You know, you see, responsibility, we limit responsibility. He says, listen, you pay for the paint, you bring up the paint, you get the brushes, they have to meet with my approval, and I'll do this, and it looks like it's a two-day job or thereabouts. I'll do it, and I'll do a second coat on the, uh, under the eaves or something. You know, 
we make agreements, but there's limited liability. In a relationship, in a life relationship, it's unlimited. It says to the person, no matter what happens to you, I'm going to be there. It says, if, if you get sick, I'll take care of you. It says, if you get ugly, I'll take care of you. And she looks at you and says, well, <laughs> I've already got that to contend with. <laughs> but it, it's unlimited. See, that's the, that's the whole big difference. That's why we say, well, we, you know, I, I think we, we can work this thing out. When people don't love and don't make covenant, it's not going to work. God says you make covenant. Uh, we got a guy in our state, is a preacher, and uh, he fell off the roof, broke his back. Nice guy, real nice guy. But his wife wheels him in and out of the church. She has to <coughs> change him and clean him. I said, man, that's not part of the deal. Yeah, that is part of the deal. Yeah. See, it's got to be that. It's got to be that serious, or it's not. It's not a covenant thing. You don't make a covenant. I'm pretty heavy on that because. I went for almost 25 years, never had a couple that I married ever divorced. But just about 25 years. I was so proud of that. But first of all, I, I laid the thing on them. Did you know one in nine women get breast cancer? It's a little heavier down here in Louisiana. Are you aware? Because of those pollutants. Say, so I don't want to think about that. Well, no, wait a second. It does happen. If one in nine has that happen, that means in this room we probably got a couple, maybe three, these gals are going to be contending with this. Say, I don't want to think about it. I don't want to think about it. Well, a woman is more than a body. She's a person. She doesn't choose that. That's, that's scary. But see, when you build a life according to God's law, you build it on a covenant that says, baby, if bad things happen to you, if, if terrible things happen, I'm going to be there. If you're not able to function as a loving partner, you're still my partner. If you can't take care of a house or take care of yourself, I'll take care of you. Now, we don't want to think about this. We're not planning on bad things happening, but they happen. I'm, I'm about six foot two and about 230 some pounds. I'm, except for a little bit about my middle, five years ago I could beat every man in my church in racquetball every man, men half my age. But I've been in the hospital 21 times the last 15 years. I'm not talking about seeing the doctor. I'm talking about overnight stays and several day stays. Things happen. I look tough and strong, and I probably, uh, most men my age, I probably outwork most men my age, but I also have had some problems. Bad things happen. And so in covenant, covenant says, if bad things happen, uh, I'm going to be there. Let me tell you the kind of bad things that happen. I, 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 in the last 10 years, I had a 19-year-old son drown. He's a Christian boy, 
I mean, the kid never smoked, drank, slept around. He was in the church. He was, he was clean. Anyway, and he was helping out at a day camp, a daycare camp. And all the other little kids, eight, nine years old, went off to do crafts. And three of the counselors went in the water. He took a shampoo bottle to wash his hair. And they turned around, and then all they saw was a shampoo bottle floating away. I mean, bad things happen. See, that's why we got to have something that's more than just my feelings, because feelings come and go. There's got to be a covenant commitment that says, man, if bad things happen to us, if, 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 if things we never planned on happen to us, we're going to work together. We're going to be together. The rest of the story is, ten months later, my 21-year-old son playing touch football with some guys from the church, doubled over, went into a coma. Never came out of the coma. About 13 days later, 14 days later, and <coughs> shut off the life support system. I sat there and I watched my son, tough, athletic, bodybuilder. He could pick me up in the air. I watched. Beautiful, good-looking guy. Just turned 22 while in the hospital. I watched as the monitor beeped, beeped, and then just went flat. <laughs> That's... That's not the way it's supposed to be happening. No. No. If you're a real Christian, only good things happen. No. Bad things happen in life. That's why we've got to have something stronger than our feelings, something stronger than our emotions. And so that's, that's why I'm into this. Covenant cannot be broken by new circumstances. Contract can be voided by mutual consent. Contract says, I don't like you anymore. Contract says, you don't make enough money. Contract says, I don't like your weight, or your hair, or your breath. <laughs> Contract says, every time we turn around, you're pregnant. <laughs> you just keep turned around. That's a contract. Contract says, I'm, I'm done. You're not measuring up to my expectation. And, and really, everybody's going to change. This is a hard, you know, it scares me. And it's harder on women than men. You might as well know this. It's harder on women than on men. Because women feel the pressure of youth and beauty more than men. Really do. It's a, it, it's a pressure that women have. And so God says, here's how, here's how you can have a man love you all your life. First Peter, the third <laughs> chapter, talks about a little bit. It says, the way to hold a man. It's right there in the third chapter. It says, it, it's not how high you fluff up your hair. It's not how much stuff you gold you drape all over yourself. It's not the designer label clothes. Now, that's a rough translation of scripture. But that's what it's talking about. It says, it's your attitude. You don't keep a man around? A sweet spirit. A sweet attitude. Really, really, and that, that lasts. I'm married to that same little lady. Oh, she's changed a whole lot, and as have I. But you know what? She's got a sweet spirit, and I think I'll stay with her the next 30 years. And that's way the Bible tells us the other side of it, too. 
It tells how what a man's responsibility is. I don't care if it's 19, 1930, 1950, 1980, or 1990, or the year 2000. There's certain responsibilities. It says, man, if you don't provide, <laughs> you're nothing. You're worse than an infidel. you got to work, man. The Bible says that's the only way for a home to work right. The Bible says, says you got to treat a woman like Christ does the church. It says, what did Christ do to the church? Well, Christ came down out of heaven, down to the church's level. Guys, you've got to come down to her level and talk in a level. You've you got to communicate. Well, women are better communicators. Yeah, they are, but God says this is the way it's done. Now, can I help it if I'm right? It works. You can go, you go to Walden or Dalton Bookstore, and you can buy all kinds of little books, how to have a happy life, how to have a happy marriage, and most of them are just written by people who are trying to make money selling books. Here's the manufacturer's manual. He says, I know what you guys need. I know about your drive. I know about your feelings. God doesn't go into shock when you say, oh, God, I'm having those kind of dreams again. God says, oh, you're a foul young man. <laughs> no, he doesn't. He like, geared you that way. Why, Lord? <laughs> I don't know. Ask him in eternity. And then, and, then, and, then, and then a woman says, you know, guys are so so fickle. They don't know their own minds, you know. You know, they... They, they tell you one thing, and then the next week they're thinking about somebody else, and it's scary. So God says, here's, here's a prescription. Try his way. Now, the reason I can verify this, my daddy married five times, her mother married twice. I've never seen a mom and dad ever talk or discuss anything. Yet I've been married to the same lady for 36 years. It scares me a I've known her twice as long as her parents knew her. Before they got rid of her. That's scary. But you know what? I'm in love with her. I'll tell you a little something else. All my kids are serving God. This little neurotic mixed up kid bounced all over the country. This guy from New York City. This little gal from Missouri. They stay together, and now all their kids are serving God. Yeah, all. You know why? Not because I read Freud, Jung, Adler, or any of those others. They have an idea or two, but most most of their stuff is not it's not based on right principles. But I read this, and it works. Let me pray with you. Jesus, Lord, at the start of this, I said we'd, we'd have some stuff, and Lord, the stuff that I've shared, Lord, are, are things I wish, wish I'd had a father to talk to me. Wish I'd had somebody tell me these things. Oh, Lord, I might not have believed them. I might not have understood them. But maybe I would have locked it in my mind. And, and Lord God, some of the terrible mistakes I've made, I wouldn't have made. Lord God, here's young men and young women on the threshold of some of the greatest experiences in life. Let them understand what covenant means. And Father, Father, 
Let them have lives so rich and so abundant that people who don't understand Pentecost, don't understand the Holy Spirit, will say, I want the kind of life you have. And we'll tell them about our Lord and the life that he lives in us. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. God bless you. at a bunch of colleges and because I wanted to deal with the human mind. You'll find a lot of people who've had real problems in their life uh, are interested in that field. doesn't mean that they had bad home, but they've seen a lot of problems. Maybe they're people they cared about had a lot of problems. And uh, that, was, that was my case. I wanted to become a psychologist so I could help kids. Really, the kids. I didn't care about the older people. I was, I was a kid when I decided this. But I wanted to help, especially teens. I've been on a few boards of uh, children's homes because my heart's there. And we all laugh at you, and we say it's a hard time in your life. It is the hardest time. And I'll be honest with you, none of us ever lived in the 90s. And though there's always been sin, and there's always been uh, hypocrites, and there's always been problems, this is the only time in history you are part of the first post-Christian generation in America. <coughs> generation, um, talking about the United States, that is raised and taught and trained, by and large, without religious values. This is a fact. You're here in Lake Charles, and, and uh, you got to understand how the rest of America looks at you down here, which is believed in God's country folks hold to traditional values and all you uh, guys just want to work a good job and all you women just want to have lots of babies. And, uh, well, and we, we know that isn't exactly so, but, but it's a whole different on what they believe was right and wrong in dating. 
was morally right and morally wrong. term, the first post-Christian generation. Down here, believe it or not, even with your gambling machines and everything, and even with the riverboat and all the other things, believe it or not, your values and your home values and your Christian values are much, much stronger than the majority of Americans. And for those of you who came from a little town a little farther out, you know, you're you're back here in worldly Lake Charles. But you, you gotta realize, from my perspective, where I live, it's just a half step from heaven. I remember the first time I came down to DeRitter, and I, I, I DeRitter, and I walked into DeRitter, and you know, the little town, everywhere I looked, it was a Pentecostal church. Everywhere. And everywhere I looked, there was Pentecostals. I, I just couldn't believe it. I mean, it just stunned me. I was presbyter of northeastern Ohio, churches up there. And I, I told Brother Anthony Mangan one time, I said, Brother Anthony, I was in a service there, and he had close to 2,000 people, it seems like that day. I said, I'm over, presbyter, over 23 churches in northeastern Ohio. We're talking about two and a half, three million people. I said, you had more people in your church Sunday than we have in our entire section. That, that, that's the rest of the world. That's, that's the way it is. Uh, our kids are mocked. Mocked. Our girls are mocked for wearing dresses. Now, maybe you have some of that a little bit, but I mean, when the school board gets involved, my daughter would not participate in certain kind of sports at school and dancing. And uh, it went clear to the school board. It, it, it's hard. And there may be other kind of apostolic and Pentecostal churches around here, and you don't necessarily interact with all of them, but at least they're, they're, they're standing for something, and you're not the only kid in your school. My family was the only family in our entire school uh, that were one Miss Pentecost, the whole school. <clears throat> so, when I start talking to you about changing times, I want I, I to show you a little. I thought this is so funny, but this changing world, how times have changed. You can see that. Public school teachers rated the top 
disciplinary problems in 19... This one's on, too. Uh, the top problems in 1940 and 1990. Now, now, it's almost laughable, but I went to school back in the 40s, so I remember some of this talking out of turn with the number one bad thing kids did. <laughs> really? I mean, that's, that's where I came from. Uh, chewing gum. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, making noise. Now, chewing gum was not in the class. I mean, if you just secretly were doing this, you, you, you could be sent to the principal's office. Chewing gum. Running in the halls. Wicked kids running in the halls. <laughs> Cutting in line. And then dress code violations. Now, now what, that sounds well, oh, dress code. You gotta remember, when I went to school, you couldn't wear jeans. Oh man, no, you couldn't wear jeans. You're going to school. In fact, when I went to grade, grade school, public schools, public schools, I had to wear a, a white shirt and tie. That's public schools. I mean, that sounds like the dark ages, doesn't it? You know, but uh, I went to school. And then, and littering would be dropping a gum wrapper on the floor. The teachers rated the biggest problems they had with the students, and this is what they came up with. <laughs> Man, it's a different world. Today, my daughter just completed her degree in education. My daughter-in-law has just completed her degree in special education. My background, on my passport, I'm listed as an educator. I'm knowledgeable in education. And these are the fig <clears throat> figures. Drug abuse, number one problem, teacher's rate. Number two, alcohol abuse. Number three, pregnancy. What are you going to do about pregnancy? School boards get together, <coughs> PTA, what are we, how are we going to handle this? See, see in my generation, <laughs> there was no pregnancy. Oh, there was. Well, it was so rare, they just disappeared. Came back a year later with a little adopted child. That's, that, that's, that's the world. Uh, suicide. I, I read the other day, and I, I hope I'm quoting it correctly, but the number one cause of death of teenagers, second only to accidents, is suicide. That's scary. Rape. I'm talking about, we're talking about the school situation. I'm, I'm in one of the better cities. I'm in the best school district uh, in Akron, and Akron has supposedly, or did have, the best school system for a city school system in Ohio. But there's schools there that you don't dare linger around the hallway after class. Someone's going to drag you. This is, you go to school terrified. Robbery. And, and you hear about these northern cities like Chicago and Detroit and maybe even Cleveland. Kids robbed and killed for, for, for Nike shoes. Not those, but other ones. <laughs> Air Jordans and all that other business. And then last one is assault. They will be beat up. I'm not talking about two guys getting in a fight. I mean, there's always been two guys get mad at each other and, 
and, and every year at school, there were two or three times that guys would get in a fight. I mean, that, uh, that's life. But I'm talking about assault, where the teacher may be punched out, male or female. See, so sometimes when, when you're talking with your parents, and, and they don't understand the world you live in. Now, now, I don't know if you would agree with this. Would you say these are stuff that you're facing in your schools? I, I imagine it's much more this than this list. <laughs> gum in his mouth. You'll never, you'll never make it to college with gum in your mouth. <laughs> but it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a different world. It's a world gone mad. Now, now, now here's, things get even get even more complicated and survey, this is by Lou Harris Associates, that's a survey was taken of kids. Here's, here's kids across America. 47% said they would cheat on an important exam. I uh, just admit it. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands of how many have ever cheated. <laughs> because I think we have 57%. Uh, <laughs> But, but what I'm getting at is, this is very open. I cheat. It's important to me, I cheat. 12% by copying answers directly, 35% by glancing for ideas. 5%, this was made for the Girl Scouts. 5% would take money from their parents without asking if given the opportunity. Now, you got to understand, this is shocking to me. Yeah, these Girl Scouts there. Yeah, well, it, it was made for the Girl Scouts so they know what the kind of problems we're facing. 36% said they would lie to protect a friend who had vandalized school property. Over a third of them said, if I knew my friend uh, spray-painted the, the hallway or, or dumped honey in the ladies' restroom on the floor or something, I don't know. Uh, or, or set off a fire alarm and is this the one they were talking about? Is this that one of the big problems? Yeah, come on. Only one out of four said they'd tell the truth. If you were unsure of what was right or wrong in a situation, how would you decide what to do? 23% said they'd do what is best for everyone. 21%, one out of five, said they'd follow the advice of an authority. 18% that said they'd do what would make them happy. 16%, that's not a whole lot, that's one, one out of six or so, would do what God or Scripture said. Uh, a little scary to me. 10% uh, said they'd do what would improve your situation or get you ahead. 3%, 1 in 30 says I'd follow my conscience. And 9% says, I don't know what I do. Now, here's a scary thing, and I want you to see. I hope this will read on this, all right? This is, this is scary to me. This was done in Baltimore. We're dealing with race. This is the world you're living in, and this is the, this is the young man you're marrying. You say, well, we, we, we have different values here. Let me just show you the first half. Let me do it this way, so you don't 
spend all your time looking at that hard part yet. Under which of the situations does a male on a date have the right to kiss, and then will they later be sexual intercourse, against a woman's consent? This was done in Baltimore. This was done on kids from middle school through earlier part of high school. So we're not talking about some jaded college kid. We're talking about the young ones on up. 51% says, if I spend a lot of money on her, 41% said, I'm turned on. 32% says, if I heard she's been with somebody else, I'd kiss her and she has no right to say no. She's drunk, 36%. She let him touch her above the waist, 67% says she has no right to refuse me, two-thirds. Girls, you need to be aware of this, because this is, this was done with fellows and girls. This wasn't just guys. They've dated for a long time, 77%. She led him on, whatever that means. Uh, 74%, he's sexually excited, 58%. They plan on getting married, 85%. They are married, 89%. Now, here's the horror part of this. The same group was asked, are there any situations where you have a right to take advantage of a girl you're dating. And he says, oh yeah. This is the young men that you're dating. This is the world. 20%, one in five says, if I spend a lot of money on her, she owes me this. I say, oh brother, funny, that, that must be somewhere else. I'm gonna tell you, that's all over. He's turned on. If he hears or knows that she's been with anybody else, now girls, you need to be aware of this. When a guy knows this, somehow or other, in his thinking, he wrote this down for adults to hear and see, with his name on it. This is how I feel. If she's been with somebody else, then she has no right to refuse me. Now, the, the key words are against her consent. We're not talking about couples slipping off somewhere and they think they're in love or some kind of... Uh, thing like that. We're talking about force. We're talking about rape. 28% says if she got her, let herself get drunk. 47% said if she let me touch her above the waist, she has no right to refuse me. Now, I'm not saying these things are right, but I'm saying this is the world you're dealing with, and you need to be aware of it when we turn around and we draw lines and set standards and say certain things ought not to be, because the spirit of this age is, if I get away with it, she has no rights. She let him ever do it before, she can never refuse it again. 60% said, if I've ever used a woman, she has no right to ever tell me no. They dated a long time, about the same percentage. She led him on. Now, led him on is kind of an interesting thing because guys can think they're being led when she doesn't know how to get away from it. <laughs> she gets him excited. And the, the problem with guys is anything gets them excited. <laughs> Yeah. You know, when you see a banana split, what do you think of? Yes. 
How about a Chevrolet? Yes. Pickup truck. Oh, oh, don't. 70%. Now, this is young people today. Now, this group is your age right now because it was taken about three years ago. So it's mostly your age. 70% said, if we're going to get married, she never can say no. And interestingly enough, of this generation today, 80% said, if we marry, she's never allowed to refuse me. You, you see why uh, we need to understand, you say, oh, brother, funny, but once you're married to the right person, all these problems go away. No, they don't. Your kids are going to be raised in this. They're going to be taught by the teachers who believe this. The next-door neighbor, the guys you work with, the gals you work with, believe this. And to me, it's this, this is terrifying. Now, I will personally, in my counseling, verify those kind of numbers. How many think, uh, like Charles, if they were interviewed, public schools would say numbers better or worse than this? How many think they'd have more conservative, more wholesome numbers than this? How many think they'd have more wholesome numbers? How many think they'd be as bad as this or worse? That's scary. This, this is the real world, and the, the tragedy is, you know, here, here I'm an old guy. I'm old enough to be your dad, and some of you maybe even your grandpa. I have a hard time. I understand all this in my head, but I can't comprehend it in my heart. I don't understand how people can be this way. I do not understand. I understand with my head, but in my heart, you don't, you don't do people like that. You don't use people like that. You, I got a little thing when I was running a Bible college. I used to have a little sign I kept on the wall. wall. It says, love people, use things. Sometimes get it mixed up. Love things. Use people. Sometimes when, I don't know what you're, you're taught here about some of these subjects, but this is why I'm doing the work I'm doing. This is why I'm killing myself. And I'll be honest with you, I'm traveling across the country. I'm exhausted. I'm looking at young people like yourself. What do you want out of life? Well, some of you are success-oriented. You want to get a little more education, maybe. You want to do something with your life. You want to have a partner. You would like to have a nice home, maybe travel a little bit, have some nice things in life. Your wants are, are simple and clean. And, but this world is so twisted. 60% of you are going to be divorced. If you follow the world's trend right now, that's the numbers. And if you sleep with somebody before you marry them, the odds are greater that you'll divorce. That's not Christian statistics, that's national statistics. People who live together before marriage have less likelihood of them keeping a marriage together. So well, that doesn't make sense. Oh, yes, it does. Because they don't value marriage. If both people feel that this is a sacred covenant, a sacred union, and as they enter into it, they say, this is something holy and sacred before God, and, and we don't want to violate it. 
when they both enter into it, when you got your problems and you're going to have problems, you say, well, this is sacred, this is before God. But a couple that says, and I think it's so sad, I'm dealing with it all the time, couples want to get married. And they're not in our, our church. Our church is very comparatively, very, very moral. A couple that have been sleeping with one another. They come to me and they want me to marry them and she wants to wear white and she's... There's no newness, no surprise, there's no virtue to give to one another. And you stand up at an altar and you lie. Basically, for some of you who have already messed some things up, I'm going to tell you God can forgive you and heal you when you understand the wrong. But you're going to always have scars. Always. Because the Bible says, be not deceived, God is not mocked. What a man sows, he's going to reap. I was 13 years of age, I started to pray for a wife. <laughs> she would have shown up, I don't know what we've done. We've probably got joint paper routes or something. <laughs> I think you ought to pray for a wife. I think you ought to pray for a husband right now, this stage. I say, oh, Brother Bunny, you know, I want to date around a lot. No, no, no. We have a rule in our church, you're not allowed to date somebody you wouldn't consider marrying. That doesn't mean if some guy asks you out now. Is this a proposal? No! Just wants somebody to share the price of gasoline, you know. But, but really, one, one of the good things, and, and if you kind of remember this, don't date somebody you wouldn't consider marrying. Keep you out of trouble. Really? Say, so I'm just dating her because she's fun. I wouldn't think of marrying her. She's a pig. She's <laughs> fun. Funny pig, huh? <laughs> really? As Christians, we have to approach things differently. And, and one of the ways, you, you really protect yourself from this. And, and some of you will date somebody and you'll be serious with them. But you know one of the nice things, one of the nice things about Christian relationship? My daughter, uh, Julia, was engaged, engaged to a fellow by the name of Bob in our church. He came in, wanted him, he's our worship leader. She's engaged to him. They, a man came to me, told me he wanted to marry my daughter. He was about 23 when he asked me. She was about 20 or 21, something like that. They matured to make their own decision and both doing good. The that summer, a fellow by the name of Huey Rose, who is Brother Huey Rose's son, and I talked at the campground, and he said something to me about my daughter. He says, you know, he says, Brother Trapani, he says, I'd like to talk to your daughter sometime. I, I, I'd really like to know her better. I says, well, Huey, she, <laughs> she just got engaged. He says, well, I, I know that, but would it be all right? He was a real polite fellow. Boy, he fooled me. But he came to me and he just said, I'd like to talk to her. I said, that's great. Fine. Strangely enough, about three, four weeks later, Julia and Bob, who were engaged, broke up. She says, I don't think we're ready to marry. We really care about one another, but I just don't think this is right. We've been praying. About a month later, Yui shows up. <laughs> Today, Yui is my son-in-law. 
Now, here's the aside to the story. They both attend our church. Huey and Bob play basketball together. Bob's wife is married now, two children. Talks to Julia all the time. and has had her babysit. Because they trust one another and their relationship was clean enough that neither party is jealous. They said, oh, I can't be. They have to go to a different town, different church. No, no, no. They sit in church, and, and when Bob is up front leading worship, Julia, and she'll praise the Lord and rejoice. And when Bob's wife, Roseanne, goes up and sings with the praise singers, sometimes Julia sings with the praise singers, and they're side by side. How could, how could they be how could they be alongside each other? How, how can you look at Bob and not feel, hey, you, you've been around my woman? Because their relationship was of a moral level, even though they were going to be married, that they don't have to be ashamed. See, see that's God's plan. That's God's way. Maybe we sound old-fashioned or out of date, but it works. My wife was once she and the district superintendent in my state many, many years ago. They dated together and they were going to get married. Wow. I'm married to her now, but the superintendent and I, and his wife and my wife, we've gone on leaving little short vacations. We go to their home, sometimes at Christmas. We, they probably consider us some of their closest friends. How could that be? Because of the level of relationship. When people say it can't be done, it can be done. You set the limits. Anytime someone says, well, well you can't control it, I think I'm going to tell you, if you can't control it before, you won't control it after. I am a, I am an authority on this. Anytime some guy says, oh, you don't know, I got this drive, you know. <laughs> See what you did to me? See what you did to me? Anytime a guy says that, you know what's going to happen later on in life? And I'll tell you, I, I, I'm an authority on this. Later on in life, if he violates the laws of God about marriage before marriage, why will it be different after marriage? Why? Oh, oh, it'll be different once you're married. No. Because he gets in a situation and, and suddenly something stirs him up. He says, hey, I got that drive, you know. <laughs> I do with married couples who've been married for 20, 25 years who don't trust each other, who have horrible marriages, they may have a couple kids together, they can't talk, they can't communicate, they don't trust each other. You know why? Because he knows if somebody talks fast enough and smooth enough, they talked, he talked that woman into trading her virtue outside of marriage. He never trusts her. You know why? Because down the road he knows there's somebody else who's a smooth, fast talker. Say, oh, but uh, with us it'll be different. It, later it isn't different because you begin to look and say, you know what? I just, 
If she gets emotionally involved, she has no, no limits. I counsel with them. They come and sit in my office for $110 an hour. Help, help us, Pastor. Why, why don't we trust each other? We've been faithful to one another. Because you build a wrong foundation. That's the reality. Question, comment, criticism, or comments about Brother Brother Sam. <laughs> I don't I don't know. I, we, we taught something in our church. Now, maybe, maybe this age is not mature enough to do it, but most, there's a good number of you do. We had a youth group in our church who was 18 and up, singles. We, we, we did a little thing. We, we told one another to treat one another as family. You say, oh, that sounds good. No, 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 really. Mature adults. Now, now, now maybe, maybe more rural or country people can't do it, but we did it. And that was simply this. If you're, uh, how old are you? 20. He's 20. He's allowed to talk to some gal who's 18. He's not proposing marriage. He's not wanting a date. You're his sister. And he treats you like a sister. And he enjoys your company. You ever been around a girl that you enjoyed her company and you didn't want to marry her? <laughs> How many? All of them. <laughs> let, let me ask you, have you ever, um, I'll pick on you, have you ever in your life had two or three guys that you liked a whole lot? Not, not all, at the same time. I'm not talking about playing one against the other, but just you enjoyed being around this one because he just made you feel good, he talked to you real well, and this other guy, he had some good things going for him. Have you ever had two or three guys at one time? Okay. Currently? <laughs> but that's not wrong. That's not wrong. See, see, you get this, oh, what's the matter with her? She's playing around. No, she's not. If you're brothers, you see, some of these guys in this room, somewhere down the road, they'll be Mr. Right, and that's the one you bond with and you covenant with. But you know the rest of your life, is he your friend? <laughs> no, cousins aren't friends. Point to somebody who's a friend. Is there one friend in this whole room? He's <laughs> a friend. He might be your friend the rest of your life. One of the things we get is confusing in, in, in marriage is that once I have a partner, I don't need any more friends. And I'm going to tell you, you, you get miserable. Some couples get that way. Men can do it or women can do it. They get very possessive. You ever seen a couple get, you know, get married and suddenly she can't go anywhere, she can't do anything, you know. Have you ever seen, have you ever seen some gal and she locks that husband up almost? He's, he's almost afraid to go anywhere. <laughs> See, see, no, that, 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 that's, not, that's not healthy. And I'm not talking about improper behavior. But you see, you're a family. You're a family. And you're going to be a family. There will be some gals who will be a sister. And years down the road, you will always like and respect her 
you'll always be able to talk to her because you, she's a friend. God brought her to the family. You know, we get kind of lopsided, you know. It's love, love. Everybody's got to be, it's, it's love. But, but the truth of the matter is, God fits you. The Bible says, by one spirit are you all baptized into one body. Now, anyone have a question? Anything? Life, the universe, quantum physics. <laughs> now, you don't usually get guys like me standing up here. I'm just, what would you want to know? Anybody want to know? Anybody thinking about going to the field of counseling or psychology? Let me see. <laughs> anybody care about anybody else's problems? <laughs> Any of you planning on going into education? Maybe. Uh, it's, a, it's a whole different world. This is the world you're dealing with. What you see and what you guys are living with is going to get worse. When the President of the United States, I'm sorry to say, says character is not an issue, when things like that, this is the first time, here, you have to understand this. Many years ago, there was a Democrat running for president. He was one of the brightest, most capable men. This has nothing to do with politics. His name was Adlai Stevenson. You might have read about him in history books. Adlai Stevenson was a great, brilliant man. He was a great uh, politician. I, I don't agree with all of his politics, but he was one of the brightest, most capable men. But in my day, there was one reason why he couldn't be president, even if he was the most capable man there was. The reason was he had been divorced. Now that's happened in the last 20, 25 years. A man could never be president divorced. The world is changing so quickly, there's Ronald Reagan. And I happen to agree with a lot of the values he taught and he did some right things, but he's a divorced man. No one thought of it anymore. And when one of the candidates was running this last time and, and there were accusations and photographs and everything else about his affair, he says, hey, that has nothing to do with me being president. Does, does character matter? Remember I told you this is the first post-Christian generation. It doesn't matter. You know what you're going to see? You see abortion now. They started abortion and when I went to medical, I was going to undergraduate medical school, there's the thing called the Oath of Hippocrates. And, and when you're a medical student, when you become a doctor, there is an oath. And you, you, you recite this oath. This has been for the last hundred, several hundred years. It comes way out of the ancient Greeks. And it was simply this. It goes through a list of things. I will never violate confidence. I will never spread stories from house to house. I will never uh, cause anyone to die. I will never perform an abortion. That's the oath that every doctor said until the last 10 years. But it started out very easy. It started out very subtle. It started out like this. It started out when as a young man, uh, we used to talk about abortion. We'd say, abortion, that's killing the baby. But then, in the 70s, they changed the words. 
let's um, remove the fetus. You got it. Remove the fetus. That doesn't sound nearly as bad as kill the baby. <coughs> and you know what happened next? Then, then in the late 70s, the 80s, they said, eliminate the product of conception. <laughs> Boy, doesn't that sound sort of neutral? Product of conception, it sounds like Scott. Except its heart's been beating, its eyes and ears have been working, its mind's been working. And if you don't eliminate it, it's a living child. It is a living child, but it would be a living child in this world. It's changed. Uh, I remember the first arguments as a young undergrad pre-med student. They said, well, now you have to understand, there are certain situations. What if some poor retarded girl is, is attacked by a gang? Well, you know, your heart and your sympathy goes out. Oh, poor girl, you know, now she's going to have this job. What if some horrible, you know, backwoods family and there's incest? Oh, you know, oh, poor little girl. What if... Uh, and, and they told you the most extreme stories of rape and violence. And so the people who were totally opposed to killing the baby said, well, uh, you know, maybe sometimes you ought to kill the baby. Maybe sometimes. See, that's how it began. Now, it's abortion on demand. There are many cities right now in America, I read the figures the other day, is it 45 or 50 percent of all the babies conceived are destroyed? And it's not because of rape or violence. It's because it's another kind of birth control. Kill the baby. And now that we can start harvesting their parts, start har harvesting, we can take some of the brain tissue of babies, some of the things like that, and they harvest that now. They can use it as medicine for Parkinson's and experiment. It's terrifying. Oh, let me tell you what's next. How many have heard of Dr. Kevorkian? Yeah, he's one of our northern guys. <laughs> Dr. Kevorkian is an exponent of this new order. It's called, uh, it's called euthanasia. You know what euthanasia means? Oh, you don't have it quite right. <laughs> because the word euthanasia, thanatos or thanos, means death. You, eu, when you see the beginning, like in eugenics or beautiful and all these other things, it means good. Good death. Doesn't this mean old people? It's a pretty word, isn't it? Euthanasia. It almost sounds like some perfume. What is she wearing? She's wearing euthanasia. <laughs> Good death. <laughs> but what, what happens, what happens is, is euthanasia. Oh, well, you know what we want to do? Some poor 90-year-old guy who, um, uh, who, who's suffering great pain with cancer all through his body, don't you think we ought to let him get out of this life if he wants to? Well, that sounds good, doesn't it? It almost sounds, almost sounds compassionate, doesn't it? At first. And then 
Somebody's got bad rheumatoid arthritis where they can't get around and they're in pain. Let's, they want to get out of that pain. What if someone's having mental problems? They can't cope with life. Let's let them out. Let me tell you what happens. I'm 55. I can still work. I can still contribute. What happens another 10, 20 years from now when I can't contribute? When I can't? When I'm going to be using up your Social Security money? I go to the hospital already, it's beginning. You'll watch it with your grandpa and you'll later watch it with your parents. You'll watch the kind of care now with socialized medicine coming across America and where they say we have to limit our expenditures. Expenditures. We can't invest too heavily in certain kind of cases. I've been in the hospital 21 times in the last 15 years. 21 times. Man, they'll do it when I'm in my 40s. But you know, there's an attitude that says, hey man, he's too expensive to keep alive. But I want to live. Well, let's put them out. They are doing this, whether officially or unofficially, in hospitals all over America. And what they do, it's limited care. My father-in-law is a preacher. He's an apostolic Pentecostal preacher. Has preached for years. Went to a hospital in Arkansas. My wife and her two sisters were there with him. He's 84. She says, you know what? He's dying. Besides breaking his hip, he's got pneumonia. They don't even come by for him. They don't even run tests on him. They're too expensive. Because he's on Medicare. <clears throat> it's happening. You say, oh, it couldn't happen with intelligent people. Let me explain a little thing. Did you ever hear of the Nazis? You see what they did? They, they had euthanasia too. Let's get rid of, of, of things that are not productive in our society. Let's get rid of Jews. Let's get rid of gypsies. Let's get rid of, let's get rid of any of these kinds of people who we don't feel are productive. That's, that, that's the real world. That's where you guys are living. I'm going to be gone, and I may be gone a little sooner if they get a hold of me. What are you going to do about it? It's in your hands. I, 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 I've lived most of my years. I'm, I'm, I'm supposedly on the downward side. Now, I don't believe that. I'm, I'm going to do more things now in the next 10, 20 years than I ever did before, Lord allow. That's up to you. This is the world you're living in. That's why we need some people who know why they believe what they believe and stand for something. We stand for more than Jesus' name, baptism, and the Holy Ghost. Are you aware of that? Because we talk so much about Jesus' name, baptism, and the Holy Ghost. We stand for a whole lifestyle. We stand for morality. We, we stand for this. We say, when you marry that woman, I don't care if she... She takes fat on you. 
control expression. <coughs> I don't care if she looks like she got hit with an ugly stick. That's your woman. I don't care if, if, if she starts having triplets every year. That's your woman. Well, let me ask you this. You marry a lady, and, and what happens? What are you going to do for a living? What are, what are you doing for a living? Real estate. You have to use your mind, right? What do you expect her to do if you have something go wrong with you and your mind doesn't work right? Yeah, but, yeah, but, 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 but you're, not, you're not the bright, charming, good-talking man. Can't she dump you? I'll put you on the spot. Because, but, but see, this is what covenant is. I showed you yesterday about covenant. Covenant says... Yeah, yeah, but... If you have your choice between a woman, two, two, two personalities, two possibilities, one believes in life principles of faithfulness, and consistency and covenant, and one who just believes as long as you're productive and you look cute and you bring in money, she's going to be there. Which one do you think you ought to build your life with? Really? This is why we as a church, this is why I'm encouraging you. I, I think you need to get the best education you can. I think we ought to affect change in our community. I think we ought to affect change in our school. I think some of you who have your act together, you need to be sitting down there at that counseling office, and when the, the little battered girl comes in, who was battered around by her daddy all her life, or her mama all her life, and she, she, she's terrified and scared and messed up, I think she ought to be talking to a Christian. We had a problem in our area. We got our church involved with the the rape crisis center. We had our people get involved with the rape crisis center and found out that the management of it were all lesbians. Now, this is in the city of Akron. You know what? Some little woman who's been hurt, who's been abused, who's been wounded by a man, and she would come for help, and the people that were handling it had their own agenda, had their own thing, and she's vulnerable. You see why we, we as Christians, we need to be on the front line. Some of you need to become lawyers. If you've got the brains for it and the, the ability to stay with something and get an education, you need to change some policy. And, and let me close with this. There, there, I, I have an article that's been published all over America. Um, if you ever see Brother Theophilus on the bottom of an article, that's me. I've been writing these articles. I don't put my name on them. But I put an article called IRS, Imminent Rapture Syndrome. And that's that short-termers attitude. In the military, they, 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 they don't want to send a guy out on maneuvers if he knows he's going out next week. You don't want him as part of your little platoon because when, when there's a dangerous thing, he's not going to stand there. He's not going to take any risk. He's getting out right away. 
called short-termers attitude. Many, many, many Pentecostals have had a short-termers attitude. What if Jesus comes tomorrow? Well, yeah, that's, we think about that all the time. But what if he doesn't come from ten, for 10 more years? When I, was, when I was just a teenager, I thought he was going to be there this year. He didn't come. And I married and had a family and raised a family. What if Jesus doesn't come for 10 years? What about our world? What about your children? I think the Word of God teaches us that we are to occupy till He comes. You know what that means? That means take over and run things down here. What I'd love to see is a church that was so represented that, that if I were alive 20 years from now and I'd come back here, there'd be, out of this little group, three of you would be on the city council, <coughs> the planning commission. You'd be the ones to decide what's going on. Some of you are bright enough and trained enough, you may be sitting in the mayor's office making decisions. Oh, you say, how, how do I preach, preach the gospel to them? You, you do your work, you let the principles of the gospel and Jesus Christ affect your, affect your decisions. You know, there's, there's an old line, it's easier to curse the darkness than light a light. What I just showed you about the school kids. You know why the school kids teach that and believe that? Because that's what they've been taught. That's what they hear from their teachers. There's no absolutes. There's no right or wrong. You're a Darwinian evolutionary product. Survival of the fittest. Fang and claw. Kill or be killed. And they're raised with this. Is there a right? Why shouldn't you steal? If there's no absolutes, then why not steal? If there's no absolutes, why not kill if you can get away with it? If there's no absolutes, why not sleep around? See, and this is what our country is, is replete with, and that is that there's no absolutes. But I'm going to tell you what the Word of God says. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word shall never pass away. This is what I'm supposed to talk to you about, but it's on my heart. I'm old and tired, and I don't have the energy or the ability, but some of you can make a difference. You don't all have to be in education and doctors and lawyers and all that stuff. Run businesses and run them right. <coughs> you run a grocery store, make a fair profit, but don't cheat people. You do quality things. We represent the kingdom of God. And I'm done. God bless you, Brother Sam.